All right. Good morning, everybody. Let's do a show. Good morning, everybody. Glad y'all are here, and thank you for being here. Uh, it is Wednesday, and this is Just Human, number 180. And there's a lot going on in the world. There's way too much stuff for me to keep track of. And so today, well, I should say, I've barely been keeping track of it. Um, and it's been mostly because of what I've been working on. Um, since last Friday night, I have been on a dig, writing a Substack, and... Uh, I'm done. And I published it this morning. You may have seen that. And today on the show, we're going to go over that Substack, and I'm going to read it. I'm going to give some additional commentary about what's in it and what also is not in it, what I decided not to include. Um, and then when we're done, we'll just see how much time we have left. And I may jump around to some other topic that I've saved, but um, I'm just going to go ahead and tell you right up front. The only thing I have planned really is my Substack, and it probably is enough that we'll spend the whole show on that. Um, so thank you for being here. This and I uh, hope y'all are doing well. I want to go ahead before we get into the Substack. I want to go ahead and you know do like tell y'all all the ways to support the show and all that stuff and get it out of the way before we get into it. Um, if you're interested in merch. You're interested in supporting the show and you want an item in return, I do have a merch store. It's red, red white bourbon 45.com. 
and you can find the Just Human collection over there, which feels really weird to say. Um, and there's shirts and there's coffee mugs, which I love. There's pint glasses, there's stickers, uh, there's beer koozie things. And yeah, there's all sorts of stuff. So if you're interested in getting an item and also interested in supporting the show, this is a great way to do it. Another way is to go to BensonHoneyFarms.com and buy some honey directly from the beekeepers. You can get giant jars of honey, which this is sold out now. And I wish I, uh, man, I wish I would have gotten it. Um, a half gallon glass jar of it. Uh, Benson honey is so good. It is not overheated. It is not filtered. It is just raw, delicious honey directly from the beekeeper. They have other stuff there too. They have candy and they have barbecue sauce. They have air fresheners, shirts. They have honey soap, goat's milk, honey soap, which is next to the honey is one of my favorite products here. Um, I love their soap. It, it is so good. Um, so anyway, BensonHoneyFarms.com. Use rep code JUSTHUMAN when you make your purchase. And that helps me out. And you also get something nice and sweet in return. Next, if you just want to keep me caffeinated, that's what you want to do. You want to make sure that I have plenty of coffee so that I can get through my digs. I just realized my camera wasn't on during this. Um, if you want to make sure that this coffee cup stays full and all my other coffee cups, uh, you can go to buymeacoffee.com slash just human and choose to just buy me a cup of coffee. Um, and then the last, and also when you do this, you can leave me a message and I love these messages. I read these messages. I read every single one. And I got to say, thank you for not just buying me coffee, but for leaving me these really kind message messages that encourage me and keep me positive and, and focused on, on this research and this work and whatever it is that I do. Um, I, I love it. I love these messages and, and buy me a coffee, this one and subscribing to my Substack. Those are the two best ways to support what I do because the majority of your dollar actually makes it to me. The a Substack and buy me a coffee, they take a very tiny percentage of the dollar. So, all right, now that I got that out of the way and y'all know how to support the show, if you feel inclined to do so, thank you very much. All right. Let's get into this Substack. Like I said, I'm going to take you through it and I'm going to make I'm going to rabbit trail a bit. I'm going to give some additional insight and comments into it. Uh, you know, tell you some stuff that I decided not to include in the stack there, which there is quite a bit. Um, I had to trim it somehow. Um, but let's just go through it. We'll meander around. Hope you got your coffee ready. This should be, this should be kind of fun. All right. I titled this sub stack. Small Clues, Sealed Cases, Future Shock. And by the time we're done reading it, you will understand why I gave it that title. The subtitle is, In the final weeks of the Trump administration, the Justice Department attempted to seize the records of six journalists as part of a leak investigation. Small Clues point towards Durham. 
the backstory. On or about January 21st of this year, Sergey Milion teased a secret sealed Spygate case via a series of now-deleted tweets. Shout out to the Washington Pundit Telegram channel for posting this screenshot of it. And this is Sergey back on January 21st of this year. And he wrote, if anyone still doubts me, the most secret sealed case number is 21-SC-3164-ZMF. There is no mistake. And he made a few other tweets, too, referencing this Spygate case. And a few people were interacting with him, like, how do you know about this? What is this? Um, how can I find this case? Um, and he ended up deleting these tweets. And I remember at the time that he did this, I reported on it. I know I talked about it in various chats. I'm pretty sure I covered it on this show and mentioned that he had done. I'm pretty sure I did. And that I couldn't find anything other than the same thing that this Twitter user, MG Eyes Open, Whispers of Dementia, who is a good follow on Twitter, by the way. They searched Pacer and they found the case. Uh, Pacer is a website that services courts where you can do electronic filing and things like that. Um, sure enough, it exists and it is sealed. And as you can see right here, there's the case name 21-SC-3164. And it says sealed versus sealed. So you don't know who it is and who it's against, but Sergey Milion says it's a Spygate case. And if I recall correctly, when I mentioned this on the show, I said that the only way Sergey Million knows about this case is if he's gotten a subpoena in it or knows someone who got a subpoena in it or is the target of it or something like that. Because otherwise, how would he know that a sealed versus sealed case is actually a Spygate case? So I searched the case myself, 21-SC-3164-ZMF, and it was difficult to find. That is probably on me for being a bit inexperienced and or lacking some knowledge in how best to use Pacer's query system. I kept at it and did eventually locate the sealed case just as MG Eyes Open did. However, in my searches for the case that Million had teased everyone with, I kept getting a return for a different case with a slightly different name. 21-SC-3361ZMF. And that is this case right here. And it's in the United States District Court uh, for D.C. Um, its posting date was July 2nd, 2021. And the filing date was Tuesday, January 5th, 2021. So the filing date is when they put it before the judge and the judge signed it. Okay. And the case title says, in reply, application of USA for 2703D, which is uh, the Communications Act that allows the government to file and get a uh, service provider like Google, Comcast, Verizon, whoever. They can use, they use 2703D to um, get access to records, electronic records. And it's for the electronic records of six email accounts serviced by Google LLC for investigation of violation of 18 USC. And then it cuts off and doesn't tell you what the violations are. But because this case kept coming up, I was like, this is, this is pretty interesting that 
when I search for this Spygate case, I keep getting this one. Now, I didn't find much on that case, but the case title, like I just said, it was really intriguing to me. So I bookmarked it. And about once or twice a week since then, since January 21st, I believe it was, since January 21st, yeah. Once or twice a week since then, I've been going and refreshing that bookmark and I've searched the case title and searched the case name and looked around, tried to find anything on it. And I really didn't find anything until last Friday night. And I want to, I want to pause here and uh, tell y'all just a little bit about how that went. So last week was amazing. One of the most amazing weeks I've ever had. Um, I was on Badlands Media a number of times. We had our best devolution power. A week ago today, we had our best devolution power hour that we've ever had. And uh, in that power hour, we talked at the very beginning. We said, one day Trump's going to retruth us. The next day he redid. He retruthed that very show along with a FISA court meme from the Q drops. And he retweeted it at the exact same time that I was live again with John and CanCon, and we were covering the uh, weaponization on the government hearings in the House. And two of the people in that poster were in that hearing, and they were talking about FISA, which is what the poster was about. So it, it was just mind-blowing, and y'all are aware of that. And I streamed a lot of hours last week. It was so good. And when Friday came around, I did the Friday show, which I felt good about. Well, we did a, had a good show on Friday and I was ready for the weekend. I was, I was in a TGIF mood. I thought I'm going to set, I'm going to set all of this stuff down and I'm going to, you know, check out, not going to do any digging, <laughs> not going to do any, any like reading that has to do with this stuff. I'm just going to put all the news down and, check out for at least 24 hours or so. And then I'll come back around on defected on Sunday night and talk about aliens and balloons. So I did that for maybe four hours. <laughs> um, and my son and I watched some cartoons and I hung out with my family on Friday night. And then late Friday night, like around 11 PM or so I was down here at my, at my computer and I was watching some silly YouTube videos and this case came to mind and I was like, I haven't checked that bookmark this week. I'm just going to go ahead and refresh it. And I went and looked at it and I was like, yeah, nothing, nothing's changed. I was like, well, I'm going to pull up and I might've pulled up free spoke that search engine. I remember if it was free spoke or if it was uh brave but I started searching pieces of the case title and I found, I went in Pacer and searched it and I went into court listener and searched it. And at some point this came up and this was pay dirt. And I started reading it and it says in reply to the application of the New York times company, DDC 2021. And I'm like, what is, what is this case having to do with the New York Times? 
And it says their application times can for access to certain sealed court records. And the New York Times published an article that described an in-depth then how FBI director James Comey had handled the investigation. What is this case? So I went and looked at document one of the case. And right there in the first paragraph, what do I see? In reply, application of USA for 2703D. Order for six email accounts serviced by Google LLC for investigation of violations of redacted. And then I saw the case name right here, the case title, 3361 ZMF. I was like, oh man, I just found it. I just found it. And this right here is the New York Times suing and saying they want the court to unseal the government's application in that that records request and that it was granted on January 5th. I was like, that matches what I've seen and they want the government to modify an order. And I was like, okay, I got this. This is pay dirt. And so <laughs> I decided not to check out, <laughs> but to say checked in. And New York times, Filed to have records unsealed. Notice that the violations are being investigated here. Those are redacted. And it's the very case that I kept happening upon when searching for the case that Million teased. If that makes sense. And just for clarity's sake, 3164 is the super secret Spygate case that Million talked about. 3361 is the six email accounts case. And then now this new one, 00091, is the New York Times case asking for unsealing in the six email accounts case. Now you don't have to memorize that to get to the rest of the article. It'll be fine. But I wanted to go ahead and just clarify which case is which case in here, since we're talking about three of them. All right. Now, as I began reading this New York times case, I was struck by a very familiar name from page three, Adam small. Adam small was the trial attorney on this case, at least on several of the filings. And you'll probably remember that Adam Small is a federal prosecutor who has experience prosecuting Espionage Act cases, um, trade secret economic espionage, sanctions and exports control, FARA, wire fraud, money laundering, cyber, and RICO. And I'm sure many of you will recall that Special Counsel Durham added Small to his team Back on August 1st of 2022. Now it is possible Durham may have been tasking Small to do work for the special counsel's office before then. And the court battle over this played at this case played out just a couple months before Small was added. So this case right here, you look at the date. This is June 8th, 2021. It was on August 1st, just two months later, that he was added to the Durham SCO. Which begs the question, is this six Google email accounts case connected to the Durham SCO? That's the question I decided I wanted to answer. Or at least one of them. So I started reading this this filing. The New York Times company seeks the court filings related to two secret 
and deeply disturbing orders that require its email provider to turn over its journalist records and gagged its lawyer. The first order, sealed until last week, granted the government's request to force the Times email provider to turn over information about four current or former Times journalists in an apparent attempt to uncover confidential sources for an April 2017 news report. The second order, also previously sealed, granted the government's motion to impose an unprecedented and likely unconstitutional prior restraint, a gag order on the New York Times newsroom attorney David McCraw, forbidding him from informing any of his colleagues about the seizure. So, that case I accidentally found was DOJ asking Google to turn over the email records of six journalists, including four who are current or former New York Times journalists, because the DOJ is trying to uncover their confidential sources for an April 2017 news report. And DOJ also got the judge to approve an order to stop the New York Times attorney from informing them that this was going on. They gagged him, is what it's called. There's two orders, one for information, another to gag the New York Times attorney. What 2017 news report? So I looked at the, at the footnote, and it says, one of the named reporters is Eric Lichtblau, or Lichtblow, <laughs> as we used, we were laughing about in the Sussman trial. So Eric Lichtblau, uh, his name came up in the Sussman case, and you guys may remember. Sussman's defense team wanted to call him up to testify, but wished for the scope of that testimony to be limited. They didn't want Durham asked getting to getting Lichtblow on the stand and being able to ask him about a whole bunch of things. You know, they wanted him to only be able to come up for a very certain thing and then get off the stand. In the end, they decided against it, and they didn't have Eric testify. They didn't put him on the stand. What April 2017 news report and what journalist are they talking about here? The January 5th order directed Google to provide records from the email accounts of Times reporter Matt Apuzo, Michael S. Schmidt, Adam Goldman, and Mr. Lichtblau between January 14th, 2017 and April 30th, 2017. So they wanted four months they wanted they wanted four months worth of Google records, basically the the first quarter of 2017. The circumstances surrounding the order strongly suggest it is related to a particular article published on April 22, 2017, that provided detailed account of then FBI Director James Comey's decision during the 2016 presidential campaign. Apuzo, Schmidt, Goldman, and Lichtblau all authored this article, and it is titled, Comey Tried to Shield the FBI from Politics, Then He Shaped an Election. That is the Comey article that this is all about. And oh my, that is a very famous article. It's a very important article. And there you can see, there are their names. 
on the byline for this article published April 22nd, 2017. DOJ wants to know who leaked information to these four reporters. DOJ wants their email accounts so they can figure it out. And there's two other journalists that they're interested in, and it probably has to do with this Washington Post article, which came afterward. Oh, that's a New York Times one. Um, here, I'll get I'm getting ahead of myself. I'll get to it in a minute. So anyway, the Comey article, quote, was based on interviews with more than 30 current and former law enforcement, congressional and other government officials. And it reported on a document stolen by Russian hackers. And it said that that article and that, that stolen document had influenced Comey's decision in the summer of 2016 to personally announce the decision not to file criminal charges against Democratic nominee Hillary Clinton for her mishandling of classified information while she was Secretary of State. The Comey article cited several former officials familiar with the document. The Times reported that it was a memo or email, quote, written by a Democratic operative who expressed confidence that then-Attorney General Loretta Lynch would keep the Clinton investigation from going too far. The Times reported on Comey's concern that if Lynch announced no criminal charges would be filed against Clinton, Russia would release the document undermining public confidence in both the Clinton investigation and the FBI's political neutrality. Folks, they're talking about the Renteria memo. This is about the highly classified Renteria memo and who leaked information about it to the New York Times. That's huge. The following month, the Washington Post reported more details about that classified document. The Post reported that the document purported to be an intercepted Russian intelligence assessment that analyzed, but did not include, a supposed email exchange between then-Rep Debbie Wasserman Schultz, who chaired the Democratic National Committee, and Leonard Bernardo an official with the Democracy Promoting Open Society Foundation. The Post reported that both Schultz and Bernardo said they had never communicated with each other and had no knowledge of any such assurance by Lynch about the Clinton probe, suggesting the document was either Russian disinformation or a fabrication. Or they're lying. The public learned of the government leak investigation in January 2020. The Times published an article by Goldman revealing that the Justice Department had opened an investigation into who leaked the information about the classified document, with a specific focus on whether Comey was the source of the leak. Now, this other article is this Washington Post one, how a dubious Russian document influenced the FBI's handling of the Clinton probe. And I can't help but wonder if those journalists, Karen Demergian, Karun, yeah, I bet that's Karun Demergian and Devlin Barrett. That one's from May 24th. In a supposed email, Wasserman Schultz claimed Lynch had been in private communication with a senior campaign staffer named Amanda Renteria, 
during the campaign. The document indicated Lynch had told Renteria that she would not let the FBI investigation into Clinton go too far, according to people familiar with it. Boom. Right here. Right here. Boom. I found all this on last Friday night. And I took it to a chat that I'm in with other Badlands folks. And I was like, guys, I think I found something that's pretty, pretty big. And I'm trying to synthesize it all. I remember telling them, I'm trying to synthesize it all and get it and trying to decide if I can write a thread or an article. And I'm not sure I can explain it. And then I just started threading in the chat and I made like 10 posts before I realized, oh, wait, I'm like threading in this chat. <laughs> Maybe I do have it synthesized. Uh, and I started to write the thread right then and there. I started to just like take what I had up to this point, thread it out and be like, boom, I found this. Isn't that interesting? But I was like, no, 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 no. It's like 1am sleep on it. Read some more tomorrow. Read some more of this filing. See if anybody else has found this and then decide what to do. And I'm glad I did that because I found more. And by the way, Iowa Trump, I just caught your comment. Where have we heard Bernardo lately? You got a good brain, Iowa Trump. You got a good brain. So, next section. Gone spearfishing. At this point in the dig, I decided to search around to see if anyone else had reported on this case. Something significant has surely made what something this significant. I need to edit that right there. Something this significant has surely made waves somewhere. It had. The New York Times had reported the U.S. waged secret legal battle to obtain emails of four Times reporters. The push began in the Trump administration and continued under President Biden. And the Justice Department obtained a gag, gag order to keep it from public view. By Charlie Savage and Katie Benner, June 4th, 2021. So that would be four days before the filing that I had found. Now, this article is worth reading in full. Um, let me see. We might just do that right now. Since I say it's worth it, I'm going to go ahead and sidetrack over here. Not going to read the whole... Well, I might read the whole thing. We'll see. We'll see. All right. In the last weeks of the Trump administration and continuing under President Biden, the Justice Department fought a secret legal battle to obtain the email logs of four New York Times reporters in a hunt for their sources, a top lawyer for the newspaper said Friday night. While the Trump administration never informed the Times about the effort, the Biden administration continued waging the fight this year, telling a handful of top Times executives about it, but imposing a gag order to shield it from public view. The gag order prevented the executives from disclosing the government's efforts to seize the records, even to the executive editor, Dean Baquette, and other newsroom leaders. Mr. McCraw said Friday, that's the Times lawyer, that a federal court had lifted the order, which had been in effect since March 3rd, freeing him to reveal what had happened. The battle was over an ultimately unsuccessful effort by the Justice Department to seize email logs from Google, which operates the Times email system, 
and which was resist and which had resisted the effort to obtain the information. Zoom in on this for y'all. The disclosure came two days after the Biden Justice Department notified four reporters that the Trump administration, hunting for their sources, had in 2020 secretly seized months of their phone records from early 2017. That notification followed similar disclosures in recent weeks about seizing communications records of reporters at the Washington Post and CNN. Mr. Biquette condemned both the Trump and Biden administrations for their actions, portraying the effort as an assault on the First Amendment. Quote, clearly Google did the right thing, but it should have never come to this. The Justice Department relentlessly pursued the identity of sources for coverage that was clearly in the public interest in the final 15 days of the Trump administration, and the Biden administration continued to pursue it. As I said before, it probably it profoundly undermines press freedom. There was no precedent, Mr. McCraw said, for the government to impose a gag order on New York Times personnel as part of a leak investigation. He also said the government had never before seized the Times phone records without an advance notification of the effort. A Google spokeswoman said that while it does not, while it does not comment on specific cases, the company was, quote, firmly committed to protecting our customers' data, and we have a long history of pushing to notify our customers about any legal request. Anthony Colley, a Justice Department spokesman, spokesman, noted that on multiple occasions in recent months, the binary department had moved to delay enforcement of the order, and it then, quote, voluntarily moved to withdraw the order before any records were produced. He added, quote, the department strongly values a free and independent press and is committed to upholding the First Amendment. Last month, Mr. Biden said he would not permit the Justice Department during his administration to seize communication logs that could reveal reporter sources, calling the practice simply, simply wrong. Under the Obama administration, the Justice Department had gone after such data in several leak investigations. On Saturday, Jim Psaki, the White House press secretary, released a statement reiterating the president's policy and distancing the White House from the department's effort to obtain email data from Times reporters. In a separate statement on Saturday, the Justice Department said it had updated its policy involving reporters' records. The letter this week disclosing the seizure of phone records involving Times reporters Matt Apuzo, Adam Goldman, Eric Lichtblau, and Michael S. Schmidt had hinted at the existence of a separate fight over data that would show whom they had been in contact with over email. The letter said the government had also acquired a court order to seize the logs of their emails, but no records were obtained, providing no further details. Now, with lifting the gag order, Mr. McCraw said he had been freed to explain what had happened. Prosecutors in the Office of the United States Attorney in Washington had obtained a sealed court order, the one that I found, from a magistrate judge on January 5th requiring Google to secretly turn it over. But Google resisted, apparently demanding that the Times be told as its contract with the company requires. The Justice Department continued to press the request after the Biden administration took over. But in early March, prosecutors relented and, a, and asked a judge to permit telling Mr. McCraw. But the disclosure hit to him came with a non-disclosure order, preventing him from talking about it to other people. 
McCross said it was stunning to receive an email from Google telling him what was going on. At first, he said he did not know who the prosecutor was, and because the matter was sealed, there was no court documents he could access about it. So they were they were taking great care to make sure that nobody found out about this this leak investigation. I mean, people knew there was a leak investigation, but they wanted to hide. Justice Department wanted to hide that they were specifically going after the email records of these reporters. All right, back to my Substack. In the last weeks of the Trump administration, the Justice Department seized those phone records of the New York Times journalists who are named in the filing and are the authors of that Comey piece. They also seized the records of journalists at the Washington Post and CNN. I'm guessing the other two journos must work at those organizations now. The order for their seizure was issued by Magistrate Judge Zia M. Faruqi, hence the ZMF that you see at the end of the case titles. That tells you which magistrate judge is on it. DOJ also asked for, and Judge Faruqi agreed, to approve that unprecedented gag order on several executives at the Times. They specifically cited a concern in their filing, guys. They specifically cited a concern to the judge that if the journalists knew of the order, they may delete the records. Now, this is important. There were some constraints on the record seizure. It wasn't everything in there. It was for non-content information, meaning only the order, meaning the, the order only covered, I need to correct that right there. The order only covered to whom the emails were sent and when they were re- sent and received. So it doesn't have what's in the emails. It just says person A on this date and at this time emailed person B who received it on this date and at this time and replied back on this date at this time, that kind of thing. In early June, 2021 DOJ asked judge Faruqi to quash the orders. And he did thus allowing the execs of the New York times to inform the journalist of the seizure and the newspaper to then inform the public. DOJ also informed the journalist quote, that it had obtained several months of their 2017 phone records and had unsuccessfully sought non-content information about their emails. Google fought the production of the non-content information and delayed it over and over. Google's efforts paid off just days before the gag order was lifted. DOJ announced they would change their policy on seizing such records, but the filing does say that DOJ did obtain several months of their phone records. And it's something I'm not clear on because Google fought off giving them non-content information, but it seems like Justice Department got something because they did seize those records. And so far in the filings, I haven't found exactly what they got. It may be in the filings for one of the cases that it says exactly what they got. Um, But... I'm not sure that's, that's one piece of this that I'm not exactly clear on. Um, what I do know is they didn't get the non-content information that they were actually after. That doesn't mean they got nothing, though. 
Just days before the gag order was lifted, DOJ announced the change. Justice Department says it'll no longer seize reporters' records. Now, the accidental discovery. The case I had accidentally found while searching for the super secret Spygate case was 21 SC 3361 ZMF, the six email accounts disclosure case that was filed on January 5th. The case I found that is connected to it is 121 MC 0091 ZMF. It's the New York Times case asking for further unsealing in the six email accounts case. They wanted the Justice Department to unseal the application for the seizure of records and everything else. The Times was successful in getting unsealed much, but not all, but much, of the docket for the case titled <coughs> the, six, the Six Email Case. And as part of that unsealing, they managed to get the entire title of the case unsealed. So now we know what the violations are. With the full title, we, I want to go ahead and now define the, the violations being investigated here. 18 U.S. Code 641 is public money, property, or records. And it has to do with anybody who embezzles, steals, purloins, or knowingly converts to his use or use of another, or without authority sells, conveys, or disposes of any record, voucher, money, or thing of value of the United States or any department or agency thereof, or any property made or being made under a contract for the United States or any department or agency thereof. It also covers whoever receives, conceals, or retains the same with intent to convert it to his use or gain, knowing it it to have been embezzled, stolen, purloined, or converted. So we're dealing with something that's been stolen and sold or stolen or used to produce something of value. The other one is 18 U.S. Code 793, which is gathering, transmitting, or losing defense information. So it's pretty interesting to me that this leak investigation that sought these records from six journos, their emails, the violation that's under investigation is stealing property, selling it, exchanging it for something of value, and gathering, transmitting, or losing defense information. And we know the Renteria memo is very classified, and we also know that it came from the CIA. And can't help but wonder, does this perhaps indicate that someone involved in the Renteria memo leak sold that classified information? Now, drawing the line from here to Durham. I've already mentioned that Adam Small was on at least some filings in the case, but there is another connection I want to draw. It's the why it matters now connection. First, though, just in case you don't recall or did not click the links to read the Times article or the WAPO article in this Substack, 
I need to remind you or perhaps inform you of what the Renteria memo is. During the 2016 primaries, a document was given to the FBI that purported to be Russian intelligence. It revealed that there was an understanding between the Clinton campaign and Attorney General Loretta Lynch. This document described an email in which A.G. Lynch, quote, had privately assured someone in the Clinton campaign that the investigation into Hillary's use of a private email server would not push too deeply into that matter. The document is controversial, and ultimately the FBI concluded it was unreliable. However, that document was a major factor in FBI Director Comey deciding to himself announce in July of 2016 the closure of the investigation into Hillary's email server because, partially based on that document, he did not feel comfortable giving the investigation over to A.G. Lynch. Comey did not coordinate with the Justice Department when he did this. It was an extraordinary move and a very unpopular one with the media, the administration, Democrats, and Republicans. To this day, media and Democrats are furious with Comey for doing this because in announcing the closure, he retained control of the investigation and then later opened it, reopened it, 11 days before Election Day 2016. These two acts have media and Dems, likely Clinton as well, convinced that Comey cost Clinton the election. The email described in the document, a copy of the email is not actually in the document, is between Rep. Debbie Wasserman Schultz, who was at the time the chair of the Democratic National Committee, and Leonard Bernardo, an official at the George Soros-owned Open Society Foundations. Wasserman Schultz informs Bernardo that A.G. Lynch had privately communicated with Clinton campaign staffer Amanda Renteria and told her that, quote, she would not let the FBI investigation into Clinton go too far. Remember, all of this information, even the very existence of the document, was highly classified and still is. The Renteria memo has never been released, and the Comey article triggered a criminal referral from an agency in the intelligence community. That would be the CIA. During testimony on Capitol Hill in December 2018, Comey said in regards to the Renteria memo, quote, so far as I knew at the time, and still think, the material itself was genuine, which is a separate question, though, from whether what it said was accurate. Quote, I've tried to be very careful in public comments about this. There was material that had not been verified that I believed, if it became public, would be used to cast doubt on whether the Attorney General had acted appropriately with respect to the investigation. I don't think I'm allowed to go beyond that in characterizing that material. So why does it matter right now in February 2023? It's this. The New York Times article from January 26, 2023. Barr pressed Durham to find flaws in the Russia investigation. It didn't go well. 
from January 26, 2023, Charlie Savage, Adam Goldman, and Katie Benner. This hit and spin piece on Barr and the Durham SEO, this smear piece has one significant, never before revealed, very dasting piece of information in it. Mr. Durham used Russian intelligence memos suspected by other U.S. officials of containing disinformation to gain access to emails of an aide to George Soros, the financier and philanthropist who is a favorite target of the American right and Russian state media. Mr. Durham used grand jury powers to keep pursuing the emails even after a judge twice rejected his request for access to them. The emails yielded no evidence that Mr. Durham has cited in any case he pursued. Yet. In Mr. Durham's case, the dubious sources were memos whose credibility the intelligence community doubted, written by Russian intelligence analysts and discussing purported conversations involving American victims of Russian hacking, according to people familiar with the matter. The memos were part of a trove provided to the CIA by a Dutch spy agency, which had infiltrated the servers of its Russian counterpart. The memos were said to make demonstrably inconsistent, inaccurate, or exaggerated claims, and some U.S. analysts believed Russia may have deliberately seeded them with disinformation. Mr. Durham wanted to use the memos which included descriptions of Americans discussing a purported plan by Mrs. Clinton to attack Mr. Trump by linking him to Russia's hacking and releasing in 2016 of Democratic emails to pursue the theory that the Clinton campaign conspired to frame Mr. Trump. And in so doing, Mr. Durham sought to use the memos as justification to get access to the private communications of an American citizen. One purported hacking victim identified in the memos was Leonard Bernardo, the executive vice president of the Open Society Foundations, a pro-democracy organization whose Hungarian-born founder, Mr. Soros, has been vilified by the far right. In 2017, the Washington Post reported that the Russian memos included and claimed that Mr. Bernardo and a Democratic member of Congress Representative Debbie Wasserman Schultz of Florida had discussed how Loretta Lynch, the Obama-era Attorney General, had supposedly promised to keep the investigation into Mrs. Clinton emails from going too far. Mr. Bernardo and Ms. Wasserman Schultz said they had never even met, let alone communicated about Mrs. Clinton's emails. Mr. Durham set out to prove that the memos described real conversations according to people familiar with the matter. He sent a prosecutor on his team, Andrew DePhilippus, to ask Judge Beryl A. Howell, the chief judge of the federal district in Washington, for an order allowing them to seize information about Mr. Bernardo's emails. Now pause right here. So DOJ was going for the emails of the journalist. Durham, it turns out, came from the other direction and went for the emails of Mr. Bernardo. Judge Howe decided that the Russian memo 
was too weak a basis to intrude on Mr. Bernardo's privacy. Mr. Durham then personally appeared before her and urged her to reconsider. But again, she ruled against him. Rather than dropping the idea, Mr. Durham sidestepped Judge Howe, ruled, ruling by invoking grand jury power to demand documents and testimony directly from Mr. Soros's foundation and Mr. Bernardo about his emails. It is unclear whether Mr. Durham served them with a subpoena or instead threatened to do so. Rather than fighting in court, the foundation and Mr. Bernardo quietly complied. But Mr. Durham, it appears, has reached another dead end. It says right here, the result appears to have been another dead end. Yeah, appears, appears. I think it's wishful thinking. In a statement provided to the Times, Mr. Soros's foundation, uh, by Mr. Soros's foundation, Mr. Bernardo reiterated that he never met or corresponded with Debbie Wasserman Schultz and said that if such documentation exists, it's of course made up. So, DOJ was investigating the Renteria memo's leak. And now, Durham is investigating the email described in it. And notice what the Times does not include here. That from June 2021 through December 2021, they were in a court fight with the Justice Department over the seizure of the email records of four of their own reporters. And so is Google. The same ones who wrote the Comey article, the article that informed the world of the existence of the Renteria memo. And the New York Times knows this. And the author in this hit piece on Durham, Adam Goldman, is one of the targeted journos, yet in this New York Times piece, they don't mention any of that. Now, they have reported on it before. We read that article. But here, they leave all of that out. And that's like that is such a tell to me. That is such a tell. In the Sussman case, Durham broke the Clinton campaign's attorney-client privilege over a number of emails. This exchange from the transcript provided one of the most memorable and for them foreboding exchanges. The judge in that case asked Durham, asked the prosecutor, Durham's prosecutor, Jonathan Alger, whether Durham would come back for the other 1,500 documents if he ended up agreeing with the prosecution about these 38 records, which he did. The judge ended up giving Durham the 38 records he wanted from the Clinton campaign. Alger said, quote, not for this trial, but left the door open for the future. 
not for this trial. Another possibility worth, con- worth considering that Dawson offered is what if they are not investigating Bernardo or D- DWS themselves, the people, but the people who made up the documentation of the email or the Renteria memo? I wonder who might have the ability to make up that documentation. Perhaps Jaffe. Perhaps Awan. Which gets quite interesting when you realize that Awan had a laptop that had a fake DWS account on it. DWS meaning Debbie Wasserman Schultz. Did Awan send that email to trigger the Renteria memo? A memo that accused Comey of trying to rig the 2016 election for the GOP by framing Hillary? Might the issue Comey described with the memo that the, quote, material was genuine, but its accuracy was in question, be due to the fact that it may have come from a fake Debbie Wasserman Schultz email account like the one Imran Awan created and used? It's a darn good question and a strong possibility. As detailed in this Daily Caller article, quote, Wasserman Schultz frantically fought to stop police from looking at her laptop's hard drive. For more than two months, police had been telling her they suspected him, Imran Awan, of cybersecurity breaches, including what she called, quote, data transfer violations. But she maintained that she thought the police were picking on him and wanted to protect his due process. Even though she knew how serious cyber breaches can be because she was head of the DNC when its emails were released last year. So Debbie Wasserman Schultz wanted to protect Imran Awan, even though he had gotten in to servers and emails he shouldn't have been, and he created a fake Debbie Wasserman Schultz account and started sending emails with it in order to get into other people's accounts. The Durham Special Counsel's Office ran at least two, possibly three, grand juries in 2022, while also putting on two trials. We now know that one of those grand juries received documents from the Open Society Foundation and an appearance by Leonard Bernardo. I think we can be confident that Durham asked him about the Wasserman Schultz email. And I think we can be confident that the Justice Department, in seeking the email records of the journalist who revealed the existence and some details of the classified Renteria memo, are investigating that leak and did not give up on the effort because it was a dead end. Remember, they did seize records. And look at this section from a filing in that case, which is still heavily redacted. Contacts with media. It's all redacted. More redactions. Multiple articles written by Reporter 2. Redacted, redacted. 
during October 2016 time period, all of it redacted. Classified information and the redacted. All of this redacted. When the DOJ decided it was going to pursue the email accounts of six journalists, it didn't do so because it had no idea what they might find. I think they know exactly what they're looking for. I think they know exactly what they're looking for. They know exactly what happened. Or they reasonably believe they know. And getting access to those six email accounts of those journalists was just building up the stack of evidence they need for indictments. But they have a big chunk of the puzzle figured out. These are all still redacted, and there's much more in this filing. I'll go ahead and pull it up now. I might as well. Um, There's much more in this filing that... I mean, look... This is all redacted because it's a highly it's a highly classified investigation into a high, it's a classified investigation into a highly classified piece of information. And as you can see right there, article published April 22nd, 2017. That's the Comey article. It's they they all all of this filing that has to do with journalists and who leaked it is all still redacted because this investigation is active. They had enough to get a judge to sign an order to seize the email accounts and provide non-content information on journalists. It was unprecedented. The New York Times is right. It was unprecedented for DOJ to do that. Well, the most unprecedented part is that they gagged the New York Times lawyer from informing anybody about it, including the people they were trying to get the records from, and that they were worried that the journalist might delete those emails or in some way try and prevent, you know, try and hide them. Uh, There's... A future shock to their systems under those black bars. It's not here yet. But when these black bars are lifted and we see how this highly classified memo made its way to New York Times journalist and two others, it's going to be a shock to their system. While taken separately, these seemingly disparate nuggets of information appear as small as the man this dig started on. By tying the various threads together, a tapestry begins to appear, or a web. One that could tie the media-industrial complex together and bind them in their own lies, their complicity. Keep those St. Durham candles lit. I don't think he's done quite yet. 
So, now you know why I titled this article, Small Clues, Sealed Cases, Future Shock. And, uh, yeah. I hope you guys... I hope you guys enjoyed that. If you're interested in more articles from me, it's justhuman.substack.com. Um, I have to tell you that I don't write that many articles, but um, when I get into something, then I I do. <laughs> when I when I when I get it when I get a hold of a bone, um, I'm gonna chew it. And uh, this was a good one. This is a good one. Uh, and there's, there's some more I could have been put in here and I decided not to, uh, not quite yet. I do want to speculate a bit on part of this, um, some proper speculation and Rhea, Rhea, thank you so much for that rumble rant. That's outrageous. That is absolutely outrageous of you and extraordinarily generous, generous. And yes, I promise you, I will keep digging. Um, thank you. Yeah. I'm, I will keep, I will keep digging more of this, more of this. Um, so if you like this article, you know, go to justhuman.substack.com, share it. And, uh, if you enjoyed this presentation of it, hit thumbs up over there on rumble. Thank you guys for the, uh, the gold pills over on Foxhole. Appreciate you guys. Um, yeah, y'all, y'all are awesome. Thank you very much. All right. I want to speculate on part of this because, I don't know. This is total speculation. Total speculation. But in thinking about how the Renteria memo is described, Comey described it as genuine, but he's not sure if it's accurate. And ultimately... FBI decided um, a month after Comey announced he was closing the Hillary Clinton email investigation. Um, a month later, the FBI decided that it was quote unquote unreliable. But it's kept it classified all this time. I mean, we're talking six years here. It's still classified. And it's supposedly a piece of It's supposedly a piece of um, stolen information that the Russians got and then somehow Dutch intelligence got and transferred it to the CIA. Okay. And that email... And what's in the the Renteria memo? What's what's in this 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 piece of information that the intelligence community got? Intelligence community got in there. It doesn't have a copy of the email, but it describes an email between Amanda Renteria and Loretta Lynch and Lorenz or and a email between Renteria and then Debbie Wasserman Schultz and Bernardo, and they're talking about how Loretta Lynch assured the Clinton campaign that the email investigation wouldn't go too far. So 
that influenced Comey's decision when it came to the Hillary Clinton email investigation because he decided that he didn't want to involve Loretta Lynch now because if you think if you think back to that setup, that context, you have if that document was true, if it was true and accurate that Loretta Lynch had given that assurance to the Clinton campaign and then Loretta Lynch gets up and does a news conference and announces the closure of the Hillary Clinton email investigation. It'd be a pretty bad look. And if the email pro- proved true, it would be absolutely criminal, right? Like, not it would, it would not be good. So Comey, because partly because not wholly, but partly because of this this information which Comey believed to be genuine, but questioned the accuracy. Comey doesn't talk to Loretta Lynch. He doesn't involve the Justice Department at all in his decision to close the Hillary Clinton email investigation in July of 2016, right? But then a few weeks later, he gets a criminal referral from an intelligence agency that Hillary Clinton has constructed a plot to frame Trump for Russia collusion. And then you also got this Imran Awan guy who's faking a Debbie Wasserman Schultz email and has hacked into um, DNC servers or whatever house, I think it was house servers. Um, and he has access he shouldn't have, and he's spoofing emails. So it could be that, you know, Imran, this leads back to Imran Awan. It could be. Like, I can see enough dots there connecting that. Um, if Comey had given, even even if Comey had given, this is this is what's also, like, Comey used the excuse of this, this, information, but he did the right thing because if Loretta Lynch had closed the the Hillary Clinton email investigation, Comey would not have been able to reopen it. By Comey closing it himself, he was able to then reopen it 11 days before the election and exactly one year to the day before the first Q drop, by the way. And he reopens that investigation and effectively torpedoes Hillary Clinton's campaign. Now, Arturell, I wouldn't say that Comey was protecting Lynch. I would say that Com- you could say that you could say that. But what I think Comey was doing was protecting the email investigation. Com- Comey protected the Hillary Clinton email investigation by closing it when he did so that he could reopen it later. And remember, he reopened it based on emails and information that came from the Anthony Weiner laptop. So, he didn't he didn't protect Lynch here. He protected the investigation. But both sides hate him because the the Democrats hate him because 
he wanted the the the, the Democrats hate him because he sabotaged Hillary Clinton's campaign and cost him the cost her the election in their view. I mean, and that's not I can't argue against that. That's not wrong. Uh, people on the right, Republicans hate Comey because he didn't indict Hillary Clinton. So he has enemies on both sides of this thing, which makes it difficult to pick apart because everybody is so polarized against him. But you have to you have to put all these things into the context of what was happening at that time. And then you realize that he made the right decisions to protect the integrity of the investigation. All right, now here's here's the real speculation part that I wanted to put out. Something else that is very polarizing for everyone for a number of reasons is the DNC hack and Seth Rich and all around that. And what happens is, and I'm sure many people right now, as soon as I said that, I'm sure there are many people that are watching or will watch this. That'll be like, there was no hack. What are you talking about? There was no hack. There was no DNC hack. Ha ha ha. There was. There was a DNC hack, but there was also Seth Rich. What happens is people keep on conflating the two and making it into thinking that it has to be one or the other. And it doesn't. It can be true that there was a DNC hack and that Seth Rich did what we think he did. They're not mutually exclusive. Both things can be true, and we have evidence and many indicators that they are both true. We have good reason to believe that Seth Rich provided emails to WikiLeaks that they didn't release. We also have good reason to believe that the Russians did manage to get inside the DNC and they were there for months. For months. They were chilling inside the DNC's network and they were able to access emails. So, what I've always wondered before I did this article, what I've always wondered is that did the Russians acquire these emails that supposedly had to do with Loretta Lynch assuring the Clinton campaign that the Clinton email investigation would not go too far? Did the Russians acquire that while they were in the DNC server? And then it came back around through Dutch intelligence and ended up becoming, ended up coming back to um, the FBI. Goose for 2.0 is a joke. Goose for 2.0 is completely a fraud. And Goose for 2.0 fouled everything up with the public's perception of what happened. Um, and his, the timing of when he came out, it's all, it's all junk. Goose for 2.0 is BS. But Cozy Bear and all of that, no, they're not. Fancy Bear, 
the people that the Mueller special counsel indicted for interfering in the election. That's real. But still, there's the possibility, as Dawson mentioned um, to me after that uh, that that bar in Durham smear piece dropped, there is the possibility that the the email that the Renteria memo is dealing with is completely made up by Joffe or Awan. So that's, that's what I'm wondering. That's what I'm wondering. See, I'm trying to decide how did Russian, how did Russian Intel get this information and then it end up to the Dutch and then the Dutch turned it over and why would Comey say it appeared genuine, but may not be accurate. Probably because it's genuine intel, but the accuracy can't be verified because they need, they actually need the email to see how accurate it is, right? So that's what, that's what I'm wondering about. And I'm not I'm not gonna argue about DNC hack and Seth Rich. They're they're two separate things that happen at the same time and they both get intertwined into this confusing mess to where everybody gets polarized and wants to argue about there was no hack and it's it's just way it just all gets so convoluted because media has programmed everybody to go one way or the other. Media on both sides. Media on both sides have programmed people to go one way or the other because that way it obscures what really happened, which ultimately protects the criminals that were involved in it. Um, once, once you realize that the DNC wanted to be hacked, quote unquote, they left it open so that the Russians could be in there because they wanted to create the Russia collusion, uh, that Russia attacked the DNC to help Trump. Um, the DNC wanted that to happen because it gave them the Russia collusion narrative early on in 2016 that they wanted to use against Trump. And then when Seth Rich what did what he did, that they didn't expect that. They weren't um they weren't they weren't expecting that. So it it screwed up the narrative they were trying to create. Um There's so much in there. Uh, Mrs. J, you're just wrong. You're just wrong that Russia didn't hack anything. You're just wrong. You're entitled to be wrong, but, you know. So. All right. That is the Substack, and I hope y'all, hope y'all like it. Justhuman.substack.com is where you can get it and share it around. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. Now. I will be on tonight. Well, let me get back over here to this. So I will be on tonight for Devolution Power Hour. As far as I know, we're having a Devolution Power Hour tonight. Pretty sure we are. And we'll be talking about 
whatever has happened since the past, like since the past devolution power hour, which is a lot. Um, yeah, I don't even know what we're going to talk. I don't even know what we're going to talk about. Uh, I've been so, I've been so down into this, into this dig that I haven't been paying a, a whole bunch of attention. I'm guessing we'll talk about balloons because <laughs> that seems to be, that seems to be the thing. It's, it's hilarious to me how balloons can balloons can occupy my three-year-old for an entire day and balloons can also occupy the American, the normie American's mind for an entire week or more. <laughs> oh my gosh. All right, let me get this exit music. Yeah, yeah I'm kind of done. I'm kind of done talking about balloons. Yeah, y'all are saying you don't want to hear about them anymore. Near do I. I'm kind of done with balloons too. Um, so, Devolution Power Hour tonight, 10.30. Me, Burning Bright, John Harold. We'll be talking about some stuff then. And uh, yeah, guys, if you like this dig, please share it around. And uh, y'all, ha y'all have a blessed day. That's my show for today. Remember, we're not going to win every battle, but we are going to win this war. And keep those keep those Durham keep those Saint Durham candles lit, because I don't I don't think he's done it. I don't think he's done. Uh uh. Uh uh. All right, y'all have a blessed day. I'll see you later tonight.